TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by a nutritionist and holistic health coach specialized in identifying and eliminating stresses that prevent optimal health so that her clients can feel great again. That sounds fantastic. She began as a personal trainer in 2001, but quickly learned that deeper knowledge of nutrition, stress management, and posture were paramount to the success of her clients. She became a licensed nutritionist, a functioning diagnostic nutrition practitioner, and is also a certified metabolic typing advisor. Um... And it's focusing on postural alignment and also heart math, which we're going to talk about all of those topics today. So welcome to the show, Rebecca Hazelton. Thank you, Dr. Brett. It's great to be here. It's great. We've got some great topics that we can talk about and share today. So I'm really excited to have you on board. Um, it's quite a journey you've had starting from personal trainer, going into so many different facets of health and well-being. So what was it that started the journey for you? What made you decide to become a personal trainer in the first place? Well, I grew up with as a very active person, but I grew up with my brother and my father, and my father was morbidly obese. So it just had an impact on me seeing the limitations uh, in his life, and I just knew that I wanted to be able to provide some sort of support to people like him <laughs> that were struggling once I was an adult. Yeah, wow, that's that's a fascinating way to start. I mean, so... You grew up in that family. You obviously saw your dad's struggles and trials and tribulations. Um, was that hard for you? I mean, you know, the, the, the hardest thing I think sometimes for people like that is that you can't help them. You can't do it for them. You know, all you can do is try and, I guess, facilitate them to help themselves. And, and sometimes if they're not wanting to make those changes, that can make it really hard. You know, did you find that hard growing up, not being able to help your dad? I did, yes. And it just watching him struggle and also seeing how the world looked at him um, was very tough, you know, just the, the judgment from other people. So I, you know, and as a child, you know, I wasn't in a role to really help him whenever yeah. he kind of got into a, uh, an inspirational place where he wanted to exercise. I was right there alongside him nice. and, you know, encouraging him, but it really, like you said, you can't do it for somebody. They have to want it. And I, uh, realized also, which would you know impact my future studying, that a great degree of his obesity was psychological, and you know was deeply his his emotional lack of well being, we'll say, and um, the the unease that he lived with, and so that became a passion of mine to really dive deeper into. So, at what stage did you decide that you wanted to make a career out of that, become a personal trainer, and really help more and more people? who was struggling like that? Well, straight out of college, actually. So I, I started studying stress um, on and the impact on the body um, in college. So it's been, you know, 20 years of study for me, really looking at stress and the impact on health. Um, at first, I, I got into personal training, and, and that kind of got my toe <laughs> dipped in the water, so to speak. And I really loved doing that. Um, but I found that it wasn't enough. And so that's what led me to really explore these other modalities um, like nutrition. The, the real big push for that, though, was um, my brother, whom I was very close with. He got diagnosed with cancer at the age of 18. 
And he unfortunately did not survive, but he fought for two years with cancer. And that was, an, you know, as you can imagine, a really horrible worst two years of my life experience. Um, and it motivated me to, um, you know, write, write a book, but also to go back to school and become a nutritionist, which I had not had the courage to do. Um, but that was that tipping point for me where I just thought, you know what, people need other options besides the ones that exist. And I really want to learn more about how to provide that. You know, I'd seen two of the closest people I've ever had in my life, um, you know, basically have really strong and fatal challenges, um, with their own, their own physical health. So that just, there was no going back for me. Yeah. Well, that was obviously pretty, you know, pretty shaping for you growing up is having those influences. How do you think that's changed you as a practitioner in terms of the way you help people and the way you empathize with people? Oh yeah, absolutely. It allows me to empathize on a deep level. Um, many of the clients I work with are either struggling with previous health conditions, current health conditions, or a family member um, who has, um, you know, a significant health condition. So I can share my story with them, and they know that I can empathize deeply with what they're going through. But also, I'm very passionate about what I do, and I'm I have absolute trust that if you can, in most cases, catch it early enough you can really coach up someone's health and you can enable them and empower them with tools so that they can um, tap into their body's innate healing response. So yeah, it's, it's definitely shaped me. Perfect. So obviously you started with the personal training and then you moved into the nutrition side of things. Um, mm-hmm. Was that out of, I guess, frustration? Did you find that just doing personal training, you weren't able to get the changes that you wanted to get without people changing the nutrition? Yeah, I, I definitely was, I was seeing changes. I mean, some people that it is, if the exercise or lack thereof or the wrong workout program or a structural issue is what's, um, going to, if toggling that switch is what they need and they have everything else in place, you're going to see results once you, you know, get them on a good training regimen and and help correct those stressors. But there's definitely people where that's not the problem and they're willing to work out really hard, almost too hard. (laughs) And, um, their problems lay elsewhere. And so for that, I really needed some additional tools and my brother, um, when he, you know, early on in his cancer diagnosis, he dove into healing foods and it I'd always been interested in it but I hadn't that just was such a profound moment like watching him reading he was reading um like healing foods for dummies <laughs> you know and we just got into these conversations about about it and um and I was watching how he was you know trying to um use these principles as he you know he his, his body was already unfortunately far along in in the process of the disease Uh, but it was inspiring nonetheless, you know, as I read more about how food can really heal the body, you know, that's, that's amazing. So I really wanted to learn as much as I could. And was the information your brother was stumbling across, like, was it good information? Because sometimes you can find information out there about healing and health and, you know, there's lots of, there's so much information out there that, you know, that finding the right sources can be really important too. Um, you know, what sort of stuff was he coming across? Yeah, that's a great point. You know, some of it was and some of it wasn't. You know, there was a lot of 
generic information out there um, that related more to the food guide pyramid and um, not really discussing the purity of foods, you know, getting really well sourced foods, organic and grass fed and things like that. So, and, you know, talking about the, the benefits of eating whole grains <laughs> and yep. how good whole grains were versus refined grains. So, you know, your listeners, I'm sure, are well versed in that that concept not being very sound, um, but rather to take out grains entirely and, and focus on many of the other whole foods that are included in the paleo diet. That's that's really uh, what what I was encountering looking back uh, at the content he was reading. But but a couple of things that, you know, he did get in, get really interested in was, you know, medicinal mushrooms and how healing mushrooms can be. And um, medicinal mushrooms. teas and herbs and things like that. So there was some benefit to it. But you're right, there's a lot of poor information out there. Uh, and a lot of ignorance. You know, there's a lot of people that are still to this day unaware of the power that food can actually have and, you know, watching what, what they're putting in their mouths, just com completely unbeknownst to them that can be causing inflammation and all sorts of other health issues is concerning. Absolutely. And, and it's not just the general public, it's practitioners as well. I mean, it still astounds me how many people will go and see a practitioner and be told that food has nothing to do with it, regardless of what the condition is. You know, that, that, yeah. that it just it's crazy the concept that regardless of what's going on in your body, to think that eating a healthy, nourishing diet is not going to make a difference in terms of giving your body the best chance to heal and to function and to recover, it it's it's astounds me the amount of times people still get told that. Yes, or also just the generic recommendations or this cookie cutter approach that that are given. Like everyone, with, no matter what's going on, they're given the same exact dietary recommendations. It's like, wait a minute, yeah. <laughs> people are unique. They have unique needs. They have you know unique deficiencies. You can't just throw this generic uh, requirement at them and expect that it's going to work all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So, so as you moved from, I guess, the fitness side of things into the nutrition side of things, what was your take on how important each of those were in terms of people's health and well-being? You know, if you had to sort of, I guess, try and put a percentage on it, you know, do you think food is more important? Do you think exercise is more important? Obviously, doing both is the best. But in terms of getting results in terms of people's health and wellness, what would you say in terms of the importance of those two? Oh, that is a tough one. <laughs> I, I, my inclination is to say that it's the, the food mm. um, because that's something that uh, is so very essential to every cell of the body yeah. and we're doing it multiple times a day. But human beings are meant to move. So movement can't be separated from a healthy human being. Exercise I consider to be something else. I don't consider just mm. movement to be exercise. Exercise is more programmed. There's some design elements to it. It's um, usually more intentional. Movement as you move through the day, um, and hopefully lots of it in lots of different forms, that's something that humans need as much as, I think, uh, food and water and air and sunlight. So... Yeah, yeah. I, but, but to answer your question in terms of, um, you know, what's going to usually make the biggest difference, assuming someone is just moving and not completely sedentary, it's going to be the dietary aspect that's going to move the needle for them. 
Yeah, and, and that fits in with what we've consistently been told by experts as we interviewed them on the show is that that diet is just so important. But I think what's come, becoming even more apparent and even more important at the moment is understanding of stress and also mindset and the role that they can play in, in you know, almost overriding even the food and the movement because you know, at the end of the day, it's your mindset which enables you to do the right things in terms of food and movement, as you mentioned with your father. Um, so, you know, you've obviously now moved into looking at stress management and mindset as well as a really important part of what you do. How does that fit into the picture for you now? Yeah, well, I kind of came back to it. I, or I don't think it ever quite left. <laughs> so I, I mentioned I studied it uh, in college. You know, that's what I wrote my thesis on and, you know, did many projects on was the, the study of stress on all aspects of health um, and on and mental, emotional well-being as well. So I kind of came back to it. Um, after finishing nutrition school, uh, I, I differentiated even further by studying, uh, as you mentioned in my bio, functional diagnostic nutrition. And that is a wonderful uh, specialty that allows a deeper look at each person's individual stress. So there's lots of forms of stress. You, can, you mentioned the mental, emotional, and stress, you know, that stress mm. piece. Um, but there's dietary stress. We talked a little bit about that. Um, there's um, lack of movement, you know, movement deficiency. That's a stress or exercising yeah. way too much or doing the wrong form for your body, mm. um, not, not getting quality rest. Those are all forms of stress. And there's many others. But the, the mental emotional piece, that is enormous. As you said, if we are overburdened, um, by the noise in our minds, <laughs> essentially, um, then we're not going to be able to make good decisions. We're not going to be able to make those good choices that are going to be supportive to our health. You know, I always joke with, with my clients, I say, you know, if you're really stressed out, what are you more likely to go and feed yourself? <laughs> a, a great salad or a tub of ice cream? And they laugh, but they all say the ice cream <laughs> yeah. because it's true. You know, if we're if we're feeling really, if we have like nervous energy or we're irritated and we're kind of living in those um, depleting emotional states, and that's become our mindset and our our heart set. Um, if we're operating under that system, then it's it's really going to disable our capacity to make healthy choices on a daily basis. So what are the tools and strategies that you use with your clients most commonly to try and help them deal with stress and I guess even more importantly, perhaps in a preventative way to, to create a positive mindset and happiness? Mm-hmm. Great question. Yeah. Well, each person's stress is customized for them. So the first thing that I do is take inventory. Um, I have a, a great intake that I use. It's called a stress scorecard. And so I find out where their personal stress is accumulating the most. And so that could be in diet, you know, and it doesn't mean that they don't also need to work on the mental emotional piece, but it means that that might not be my first place I'm going to start with them. It's going to be diet where they have the most points, right? So if someone does, and it's pretty common, have a lot of stress points accumulating um, in their mental emotional wellness, then I have a couple of tools that I use. One um, is this, this past year, um, for this very reason, I wanted to have a very um, easy and um, reliable go-to um, to, to refer them to is I, I wrote an ebook called Pleasure Meditation, Your Guide to Joyful Stress Reduction. 
Um, it's kind of like a boot camp for the heart and mind, but much more enjoyable. <laughs> so it, it teaches them, you know, a very simple three minute practice that they can do to start to get in touch um, with the connection between um, their heart and mind and, and with what, what pleasure is and how pleasure impacts our hormones so beneficially and, and our, you know, all of our physiology beneficially. So that's one, one really simple thing um, that I practice with them and get them into the habit of doing. And, and then I also am a certified heart math coach, um, heart math resilience coach, if you, if you want to get specific. Um, and, and this is a, a wonderful way to dive quite deeply with clients um, about their particular mental, emotional stressors and to uh, work with them with, the, with those particular stressors as opposed to just give, giving them a generic um, state of mind shift, um, but to really look at where they're getting depleted, um, where they tend to um, go back to over and over and over again, and how they're just wasting their their energy uh, by not managing um, their emotions. Um, we call that self-regulation. A lot of people have never learned how to self-regulate their emotional state. And it's something that I wish I learned in kindergarten, and I wish everybody learned in kindergarten, because <laughs> It's that's the, one of the most empowering things that you can ever know is how to on on the go. How do you manage your mental emotional state? So that that's that's a great thing. It would have made high school a whole bunch easier if everyone got taught that, wouldn't it, Rebecca? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> would have been fantastic. All right. So coming back to the food stuff, I, I, you are a, a certified metabolic typing advisor, and and I'm kind of fascinated by that. You know, I sort of. I guess I probably got introduced to some of the concepts of metabolic typing originally by uh, Dr. McCullough. You know, he was one of the people I used to follow, one of the first people I really followed when I started getting into health and wellness. And he often talked about metabolic typing. Um, you know, Paul Check talks about similar sort of stuff in terms of metabolic typing. So, can you tell me a bit about that training you've done and what that involves in terms of figuring out different people's metabolic systems and what sort of foods they should be eating? Yeah, yeah. Well, I got into metabolic typing, um, interestingly, as a continuing education course for my nutrition license. So it was probably the the year after I graduated. And, you know, I was really grateful for it, because I felt like, even though I had, you know, learned some really great, um, you know, more natural approaches, you know, more holistic approaches um, to nutrition, there were still some huge gaps that were present. It still seemed very cookie cutter and simplistic. And then in practice, it wasn't working, you know? So it was, you know, glorified versions of the food guide pyramid. But you know what I mean? Like those, it still was just like trying to fit everybody. And I just thought, you know, this just isn't working. You know, I paid all this money and <laughs> did all this studying, but I, I don't feel like this is it. So I, I encountered metabolic typing and I, I took that as a course and um, did the testing myself. And at the time I had been struggling with trying to eat a vegetarian diet. Um, and that did not work out well for me. <laughs> and so I, when I, when I uh, took the metabolic typing test myself, which is, a, a, it's, it's basically a systematized approach for determining how your body in particular metabolizes food. So, and, and what, what, what foods are going to support your cellular metabolism, which aren't going to hinder that and which are going to be neutral. Um, for me, uh, when I took the test, 
I found out that I really need to be eating animal foods. And so I thought, you know, I'll do anything it takes to be healthy. I was eating vegetarian because I thought that was the healthiest thing because that's what mm. I had learned. But okay, I'm not feeling very good doing that. Let's give me a steak. And um, so I, I switched and it was amazing the results that I achieved. I felt instantly better. Um, I had been having some some symptoms I'd never had in my life before. Um, lots of bloating and gas and brain fog and putting on a couple pounds. I was still, you know, pretty slim, but it was just... It wasn't, it wasn't right for me. Um, my energy was waning. And when I switched over, all of that went away. We literally within a few days, it was astonishing. Mm. Um, so I was really eager to test more people. So, um, as I started to do that and, um, you know, deliver this information, I I was so stoked that, that here's this, you know, customized approach to diet, not the cookie cutter that I was really wanting to get away from, but here's something that, you know, tells people which foods are going to not only which foods are going to be optimal for them, depending on how they're burning fuel. Um, You know, some people burn fat really well, others not so much, they need smaller portions of that. Um, But it also helps me to teach and educate my clients as to what amounts of fat and protein and carbs are optimal for them. And, and how to teach them how to figure that out for themselves because it's a moving target. We don't, it's not like you happen upon the perfect diet and it's always going to be that way. You know, life changes, you know, stressors come up, you might move somewhere where the climate's completely different, you know, different things that are going on in your life might precipitate more B vitamin usage or vitamin C usage. So it's kind of a moving target. So this system is so great because it teaches you about that and helps you to look for the signs that you need to adjust things and fine tune them further. So what sort of tools does it use to try and figure out what a certain person's metabolic type is? Like, is it just questions? Does it involve blood tests? Does it involve genetics? You know, what sort of stuff do you need to know to figure out what someone is? Yeah, and and I get asked that every single time (laughs) someone is curious about that. How does that work? Um, So it's a very detailed questionnaire. And you couldn't really figure out that information in a blood test or really any bodily fluid um, because it's, it's, it's how your body's reacting when you consume different foods. So unless you were going to live in a lab for a few days, you're not going to get that information. Mm. But using your body as a lab and asking and testing these specific questions will convey that information. It conveys a pattern. to, And that's how you establish somebody's dominance. It's not just how they respond to one food, but a repeated series of different types of tests which I'm, it, I hope I'm not making it sound more uh, complicated than it is. It's not complicated. Um, they, the test questions make it very easy. Um, you know, if you have this, do you react this way or this way or this way? And as you accumulate those questions and, or excuse me, accumulate those answers, a pattern emerges. And that's how um, we know how, how you're going to, what's going to be the optimal diet for you. And how accurate do you find that it is? Like I, I do sometimes wonder, you know, as I said, there's a whole range of different tests you can do now. And so people will suggest that, you know, you get your genes tested and that's going to tell you what foods you should be eating or you do your metabolic typing and that's going to tell you what foods you should be eating. And, and I sometimes wonder whether we know enough yet to be able to definitively mm. say, you know, what someone should be eating from, from any of those sort of tests. You know, are, are they really just a guide or are they pretty accurate in terms of being able to definitively say what someone should be eating? Mm, that is such a good question. 
I think that the answer falls somewhere in between. I do think it's a really, I think it's the best place to start, but you have to look at the person in more than, you know, just that sliver. So I often will combine it. You know, if they are someone um, who has an autoimmune condition, then we're going to take that into account. I always love to test for food sensitivities and that's a blood test and you have to take that into account. Um, so it's by itself, it's really good and it's the best thing I've seen and used, but it can be improved upon learning more and more about yourself as an individual or, you know, for me, we're learning about clients and how to um, refine it even further. It's, it's, it's a great place to, you know, initially go. Yeah, perfect. So, um, coming back to some of the, uh, I guess, the, the stress stuff as well. I'm, I know I'm jumping around a bit today, but I, I want to know more about the heart math. Um, are there some simple exercises you can teach people now that they might be able to just incorporate into their life to help them become more centered and less stressed? Mm. Yes, that that's a good question. It's okay to jump around. There's so, so many exciting things to I talk know. about. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I have so many certifications and licenses. <laughs> so I, I'm, just, I'm kind of the same. I jump around at all different topics. Everyone's yeah. like, what's, what's your niche? I'm like, niche? Do I have to have one? I'm just kind of excited about everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. So, so yeah, so heart math. Um, I actually um, outline one of their techniques in pleasure meditation. Um, it's a, a beautiful um, technique. And I recommend, you know, HeartMath has, they, if you get on their mailing list, they do send out some wonderful reminders, um, as, as do I. Uh, but, you know, we, we all need those reminders in the midst of our busy day. And one of them, the first step is called heart-focused breathing. And it's such a beautiful thing. So do you want to do it with me? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have a feeling <laughs> I may have done this once before with my former co-host, Steve, from that paleo show. And we, we had a cave oh. camp where we had a retreat. And I'm pretty sure this was what he did with us, but I would love to do it again because it's been a little while since I did it. Yeah, it's one of those things that is great to do daily. Um, and it's it's one of those very introductory uh, places to start. So it, it doesn't, if, if someone's having just a hell of a day, they're under chronic stress, uh, this technique alone is, it's not going to, you know, fix everything. Okay. Um, you, you obviously want to dive into that more, but it is a great first step to turn the volume down on the stress. Um, so we'll just go through it rather quickly, but I encourage anybody else doing it to, to do it for a little bit longer, you know, a couple minutes, minute or two. So the first step, Dr. Brett, is focus your attention in the area of the heart. Mm -hmm. Imagine your breath is flowing in and out of your heart or chest area. Breathing a little slower and deeper than usual. Inhale for five seconds. Exhale for five seconds. Or whatever rhythm is comfortable. That's simple. And just, you can see, it just, it kind of just recenters you, brings you back into your body, connects you to your heart and your breath. Makes you better able to to approach things with a, a little bit clearer mind. And it's amazing because it just makes you realize how fast-paced our modern world has become and how little time we actually spend just to slow down and do something as simple as having a nice deep breath. 
um, you know, I, I find myself, you know, rushing around. I'm, I'm in private practice as a chiropractor. I co-host two podcast shows, run a podcast network. You know, I've got two little kids, you know, a girlfriend. We, we, there, there's just so many different facets of our lives <laughs> that we're running around chasing after that sometimes it's so easy just to forget to take that little bit of time. And, and you know, as we've just demonstrated, you know, just doing that for, I don't know what that was, five or ten seconds. I mean, yeah, but it makes a difference, doesn't it? It really does. It really, really does. And it's, uh, again, the first step in being able to self-regulate one's emotions is to, to start to acknowledge and to just get tuned in. Um, so to be able to build resilience to stress, we first need to be able to identify when we are stressed. And then people are in denial about that. <laughs> Some people aren't, but there's a lot of people who are, oh, I'm not stressed. They don't realize that until yeah. something breaks. They get they get a symptom or their their health goes, you know, goes very deeply in the wrong direction. And then they that's the wake up call. So it, it's great to proactively address um, how to just you know, emotionally self-regulate before it becomes yeah. a big problem. And, and some people think, well, I deal well with stress or I thrive on stress or, you know, and, and they don't realize necessarily how much it's affecting them, perhaps on the inside. Yes. And, you know, that's where um, I really like um, HeartMath has some some gadgets. They have some tech where um, it works with biofeedback. You can hook it up to your computer or to your, your mobile device. And um, it's not, HeartMath's not about relaxing or creating a relaxed state per se. It's about being aligned with your emotions. And so when you, if you think you thrive on stress, you know, there's a time and a place where actually we need to be in a more elevated state of awareness, mm. but one can do that without creating, um, you know, it uses heart rate variability. Your, your listeners probably know about that to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you have a, a, a heart rhythm that's too, um, too perfectly spaced or, you know, like a metronome, that actually indicates stress. So you actually want to see some variability in heart rhythm, and that's something that the the tech of HeartMath can help identify, um, so that you would know. You know, you may feel like you're thriving on stress, but take a look. We are seeing otherwise. Yeah, fascinating. Uh, thank you so much for coming on board today, Rebecca. It's been an absolute fascinating interview. So many awesome topics that we've spoken about. I'm sure people are going to want to know more about you. Um, so they can find you at your website, which is choosinghealthnow.com. Um, and on Facebook at Choosing Health as well. Um, your books, which you've spoken about, Pleasure Meditation, Your Guide to Joyful Stress Reduction, and also Choosing Health, a one-size-doesn't-fit-all guide to diet, exercise, and motivation. I guess talking about a lot of that individual variance that you've spoken about today. Um, you also do health coaching as well, so people can find you presumably through your website. It's the best spot to get hold of you for that, Rebecca? Yes. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on board today. It was a great interview, lots of fascinating topics, some real good practical tips as well. So, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Lovely to talk to you. Perfect. So, until next week, join the conversation on Facebook, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. 
Austin Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts. Damo, do you want the first and only certified organic bone broth in Australia? Do you want a broth with no hidden thickeners, yeast, extract, salt, or flavor enhancers? MP, I want a broth made by hand from start to finish with nothing but love and positive vibes. Well, that's why you're left with only one broth, Damo, and that is Broth of Life. Ho, ho, ho. Choose from dehydrated bone broth in chicken, beef, and lamb. You'll also find FODMAP-friendly stock. That's FODMAP-friendly stock, veggie stock, and chicken salt, all available at brothoflife.com.au. And a special for Wellness Couch listeners. Enter the code WellnessCouch2016 at the checkout before November 30 for 10% off your order. So awesome. The code again is wellnesscouch2016, only at brothoflife.com.au.